Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Acts 16. As we journey through these chapters, remember all the way to Acts chapter 19 are the missionary journeys of Paul. His first through his fourth missionary trips are described in these chapters. Uh, we happen to be in his second actual missionary journey as we turn to Acts chapter 16 tonight. But this is one of those tremendous passages of scripture that many people know a little part of because in it we find this incredible uh, trip to the jail in Philippi, this little city, this little amazing little place where God seems to constantly work. And you're going to see a number of cities tonight and we're going to see God begin uh, here in Derby and Lystra. Now remember that this is, again, Dr. Luke who's writing, and tonight we get to one of those we chapters where Luke will actually write as part of the team. And so it becomes very clear that, in fact, he's actually journeying with uh, the apostles, with Paul and Silas specifically. And so he is writing in the first person, including himself, Uh, here as we get into the latter part of chapter 16. And so would you join me and let's pray and ask God to speak as we study his word tonight together. Father, we again are so grateful that we could come and worship you. Lord, we thank you for these uh, worship team members, Lord, that bring their gift, their offering before uh, you and we get to join in with the angels of heaven. Pray that you would bless us now as we turn our attention to your majestic word, to the beautiful story that we find here of how your church, Lord, first began to grow and sprout uh, all over Asia and ultimately into Europe. And we pray that you would bless us now with your presence by your spirit. Uh, Lord, continue to instruct us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, Luke chapter 16. We'll take the whole chapter tonight. Uh, And then he came to Derbe and to Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple uh, there was named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. And so important for us to remember, this is the Timothy to whom Paul will ultimately not only join forces, but invest in the apostle Uh, The apostle will invest in Timothy's life. He will become an understudy and and a chief player in how God uses Paul to plant churches in Asia Minor. Uh, And this is is that young man. And so he's now in his, probably his early teens, uh, maybe as old as, as 18 or 19, but it's highly likely at this point in time, uh, he is literally a young man. Uh, And he comes from a mixed heritage. And so you have a Jewish mom, uh, a Greek father. And so this is going to be a unique cultural situation. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And so he brings to light something that as we look at it, we need to make sure that we take it in the proper context. Because what happens next seems to make no sense Uh, Because we are saved by grace uh, through faith. And now the Apostle Paul is going to take 
and actually circumcise Timothy. And I believe there's a reason. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. And for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as he went through the cities, he delivered them to the decrees to keep that which was determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. And so Paul and Silas are approaching their destination from the east. Uh, They come from Derbe uh, to Lystra. It's the reverse of the first journey that we saw back in chapter 14. Uh, And now they're going from church to church, and they're going from region to region, delivering these things that we saw last time as the Jerusalem council meets. And they said, look, let's keep it simple. Let's preach the gospel. Let's make sure that we, we keep it real. And as we see this particular section unfold, as chapter 16 unfolds before us, we're going to see three wonderful things that are opened up uh, for the first time in church history. Uh, You're going to see God open the way, you're going to see him open Lydia's heart, and you're going to see him open some prison doors. And it's this incredible picture of how God works. But before we get there, uh, this, this is going to be that really successful mission strip. And so this is the one that is probably the most fruitful of all four. More churches are planted uh, during this second trip than all the rest of them actually combined. Uh, And as as we see this little tiny town of Lystra, uh, we're going to see some things that happen here that are unusual, because it was very unusual for the Greeks and the Jews to actually dwell together peaceably. They normally kept to their own communities, and it appears that this is a multicultural community that there's actually some friendships that have developed between the Jewish people that are in the region and the Greeks. And remember, the Greeks were, at this time, uh, often, if if they were not pantheists, in other words, they worshipped many gods in the Greek pantheon, uh, they were probably atheists. And so this particular family, we're not told about the heritage of Timothy's father, but we know his mother was a Jewish believer. And so this is that cross-cultural situation that we have in our culture today. So we see people from different cultural heritages come together, and, and there's a mixed marriage. And in this case, uh, it works out to Timothy's benefit and to Paul's as well. Uh, Timothy was likely converted through Paul's ministry when he uh, first visited Lystra in his last journey. Uh, we have that recorded for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 as well. Um, and Paul will go on to call him actually his son in the faith. So this is a man that had promised from the beginning the Apostle Paul uh, invest in his life. Uh, and Timothy, as he's, as he's working out his own salvation with fear and trembling, uh, it needs to be fitted for service. And this is where this whole thing, why would you take somebody who's a believer by grace and through faith and subject them to the Jewish rite of circumcision. And it's fairly simple. I believe that in this particular cultural context, because they're going to be ministering, remember where Paul goes first, almost without exception. Wherever he goes, he finds a synagogue. He preaches first there. He kind of breaks the ground. He gains a little bit of support with the Jewish uh, community. And so he takes Timothy out. He says, look, I, I don't want any problems And so he takes him out, and he now circumcises this man who is, in essence, a Gentile. Uh, But he's going to circumcise him anyway. 
And it wasn't a matter of Timothy's salvation. People have looked at this and they said, well, this is kind of one of those passages where we, you know, we might think that God's telling us to keep the Jewish laws and the sacrifice and the feast days and all those kind of things. But I think it's far simpler than that. I think Paul is just simply being wise. He says, look, to avoid problems, uh, let, let's, let's make sure that you fit in as best as you possibly can. And there's a cultural lesson here. Uh, having traveled a lot, having been in many, many, many different countries myself, I can tell you there is a great advantage to being as culturally neutral as you possibly can, to being as least offensive as you possibly can, uh, trying to learn language as best you can, and, and to try and fit in as well as you can. And so very often, matter of fact, when we send teams to India, uh, the ladies are wearing saris, the guys are, are dressing in, in normal, uh, customary garb. We do the same thing when we travel to Africa. We, we try not to overdress when we're in Latin America, Central America. We try and fit in, and that's really what's happening here. Timothy, uh, believe it or not, that's one of those things during the, that day and time, that was kind of you know, how they determined where you stood. You know, are, you, are you an uncircumcised a Greek man and thereby a thinker and a rationalist? Or are you a Jewish person and by definition quite religious and also believing in the one God? And so to give him a neutral place from which to minister, uh, Timothy goes through the rite of circumcision. He's now going to travel with Paul. And basically that's going to free him to pretty much be used in any way, shape, or form. Now you remember Paul's admonition. He says, to the Greeks I became Greeks, to the Romans I became Romans. And ultimately he says, look, I, I become all things to all men that I might win some. And there's a, there's a, a hidden thing here that I think is important for us. And, and I'll give you a few examples you know, very often I'll get asked on the issue of tattoos. Should Christians get tattoos? And here's what I normally say. I say, if, if you're asking me if I can point you to a specific passage of Scripture that says emphatically that what we know as tattoos today are forbidden in Scripture, I will say I can't give you one. I, there's only one in the entire Bible that even comes close, and it basically says there in Levitical law that you shall not mark yourself for the dead. And so anytime you're going to mark your body, you're going to put skulls and things like that. As a believer, nah, probably not a great idea. The second thing I will normally go to is this particular passage. Because here's what I would say to you regarding those things. Does that tattoo make you more valuable to the kingdom or does it make you less valuable to the kingdom? If, if you got saved and you already have them, praise the Lord. God bless. It, it, if that's the, your heritage in Jesus' name, you're free. The Lord looks at it and he's just going to use you the way you are. But when you're in a neutral environment, you, you are the most valuable to the Lord. And so you want to be as close to culturally neutral as you can. So things that would make you less useful to the Lord 
And unfortunately, there are people who look down on things like tattoos. Uh, like in my day and time when I had hair, uh, you know what? A long hair could not go minister to people with short hair. So that was one of those cultural things. It's like men shouldn't have long hair. So all of those things, as neutral as you can be, is the best way for all believers to be. It doesn't mean you're in sin if you're some other way. It just simply says that if you will keep yourself in such a way as God can use you anywhere, anytime, any place, any culture, without anything that would be distracting, that's the best way to be. And so that's what Paul's getting at here. He says, look, we want to make it so you can minister to Jews. The Gentiles really don't have a problem one way or another, so we'll make this neutral to everyone. We're going we're gonna to bring you in, in essence, to where the Jewish person seeing you would still talk to you. And so think that way in your own life. People will give me all kinds of things. Well, you know, should I do this? Should I do that? I don't have an answer for you specifically, but I can tell you this. The one thing that I always try and be is as neutral as I possibly can. So I hit the middle of the road on everything, try not to go too far one way or another, and if there's something that's going to make me less valuable to the kingdom, I stay away from those things. And I believe that's the picture that Paul's painting here. Verse 6, and now these three wonderful openings that occur in this in the, the, re, the remainder of this chapter Verse 6, it says there, And when they had gone on through Phrygia and into the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. A little map might, might be helpful for you. As, you. as you look at the map here and you realize what's going on, this is a fairly condensed area, and it surrounds, in essence, the Aegean Sea. Now remember the Apostle Paul has taken a trip down to Jerusalem. He's consulted with the Jerusalem Council. Uh, things now have been kind of settled with that meeting. And he's on his way back up through Asia. And Paul has a plan. And that plan uh, is to preach the word in Asia. But he's actually going to be forbidden from doing that. Now, we in our humanness might look at that and go, oh gosh, I wonder, you know, what would have happened had, had the word gone forth in Asia as opposed to in Asia Minor, ultimately in Europe. What, what would the world look like today? I, I don't know, but I know this. I know what Scripture says. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they had come to Mycenae, uh, they tried to go on to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. And so there's a picture here. God makes our plans, in essence, a reality. And very often we set out on a journey, and it shows me something that even the Apostle Paul and his team, which includes Silas, a great man of God, ultimately has Dr. Luke with him too. We're going to find that out very shortly. But even when we make our plans, sometimes God changes our plans a little bit. And it's best for us to listen to the Lord. And so the Holy Spirit steps in. They want to go and minister in Asia. And the Holy Spirit says, no, wait a second. I don't want you to do that. Now, how does the Holy Spirit work that way? By closing doors. By preventing things from happening. I've had a situation. I was actually on my way to a mission, on a trip back down to Brazil. I'm meeting with Pastor Brian. We're heading to the airport. And I run into Jesus. Literally. Actually, his name was Jesus, but uh, the 
part of his car. There was a stoplight that had been temporarily put in. I did not see uh, the stoplight. I was looking at the light that was down, or the stop sign. I was looking at the light that was down there, and I'm on my way to the airport to head on this trip, and lo and behold, there's the, and I missed the plane. Now, as it happened, Brian met with the guy who's going to be here next Thursday night with John Wang as they traveled down. The Lord had them actually completely change their schedule because I was late. Uh, they ended up taking another plane, and it, the Lord worked all those things out. So God sometimes uh, adjusts our travel schedule, and that's a picture that we have here in the life of the Apostle Paul. So if the Holy Spirit can change Paul's plans, uh, you can be pretty sure that the Holy Spirit might from time to time change yours as well. And so passing, passing through Maesha, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul. And this is that famous passage that we call the Macedonian call. Now remember, Macedonia is a region of Greece. Uh, it's been, it was founded by Philip the Macedon, who's the father of Alexander the Great. And, and so this region was called Macedonia. It was called so because of Philip the Macedon, uh, reigned in that particular region from about 385 or so B.C. Uh, to 337 when he's assassinated. Uh, this is, this is a, a very autonomous region of the central part of Greece. And so as you're looking at this map, uh, you can see it's clearly spelled out. So you have uh, basically Acacia, which is the, the lower portion of Greece. Macedonia uh, is the more northern portion, and directly next to that is Thrace and then down to Asia. So this is kind of the, the portion of the Grecian Empire uh, that attaches to what we would call modern-day Europe. And so a vision appears to Paul at night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And now he had seen, after he had seen the vision, immediately, and now notice, and there's your first we. Dr. Luke includes himself. So we know he's traveling now with this particular group. We sought to go out to Macedonia concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So now remember, they were planning on staying in Asia. And so this little bit of a divine delay, this, this little opportunity where God bumps them off their planned course as they're traveling through the valley, through Lystra, and they would have gone around through Hierapolis and, and Laodicea and those towns in the Lycus Valley. As they're traveling, all of a sudden this vision comes, and now they're going to travel to Macedonia. Uh, which would be a, a fairly substantial journey at that time. Uh, but they're going to go to the coast, and they're going to go to Troas. Troas is not very far from the Bosphorus and the entrance into the Black Sea. Uh, it's right there on the coast. It's a port city. And so now, concluding that the Lord had spoken to them, they're going to go do what God asked them to do. And therefore, sailing from Troas, they ran straight across on a course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis. Now, if you had to do that by land, it would be more than a week. But they managed to do this in a two-day journey. And we're going to find that later in, in the book of Acts, that when they make that reverse course going against the wind, it actually takes them five days. And so, therefore, sailing from Troas, uh, they run directly across the Aegean Sea. They take the straight line to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, so they head north. This is the foremost city. Uh, in that part of Macedonia, a colony. Now, when it says colony, it's speaking of Rome. Remember, this is the Roman world. 
Uh, This is the remnant of Greece. Greece had had its heyday uh, nearly 300 years earlier. This is now the Roman world, but it's still very Grecian in its influence. And the reason these things are important is, is as you look at the cultural complexity of that particular part of the world, the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, uh, was, was all over that region of the world. But there were pockets that were still primarily Jewish. There were pockets that were still primarily Grecian or Macedonian in this case. And there's a Roman colony. So Philippi is actually a Roman colony. That means that there were colonists sent from Rome itself, normally generals and or at least officers in the Roman army. Once they had served out their duty in the Roman army, one of the ways that the Romans colonized what we would have called the known world at that time is they would take officers from the military, had proven themselves in battle, and they would send them somewhere and set up a little piece of Rome. Uh, if you look in this month's issue of Archaeology Magazine, you'll actually find uh, a town in Germany that this was exactly the case, complete with a Roman forum, complete with statuary. And so these officers would come and they would establish a Roman settlement. So again, very culturally diverse because you have the Romans who worship Caesar. You have the Greeks who have a pantheon or they're completely stone-cold atheists. You have a Jewish population who believe in the one true God. And now you have biblical, in essence, what we would call Christianity, uh, so this is a very, very, vol- very volatile, multicultural uh, situation that's going to that's play out before us. And so it was the foremost city in that part of Macedonia, colony. And when we were staying in that city, we were there for some days. And so after visiting some of these churches that we've already seen that Paul founded, uh, he decides to enter into new territory. He's heading towards Asia Minor. He's going to the east of Bithynia, uh, and the Lord closes the door. Uh, the Lord sometimes closes doors. We're well-meaning. We're well-intentioned. We actually have a formulated plan, but God just puts a stop to it. And be open to God speaking to you uh, if he wants to close a door. You know, sometimes we, we, we almost overthink things uh, as the body of Christ and we push on. God's actually saying no, and sometimes we kick doors open that God's trying to keep closed for a while. And, and it's important for us to just rest in the Lord. And if you feel like you're fighting against Him, uh, you might want to take just a step back and, and just pray some more and let the Lord work in your life. Now, we don't know how God revealed His will in this matter, but I, I can pretty much imagine that the Apostle Paul was disappointed Everything seems to be going smoothly. They're on their second journey. And so closed doors probably came as a pretty great surprise to the Apostle Paul, to Luke, and to this team. But, but I think it's, it's a perfect picture for us to realize, you know, God makes his plans, or we make our plans, and God ordains our steps. He, he you know, changes things up every once in a while on us. God planned for the message to get there, and we're going to actually see that the message does get there in chapter 18. And by his sovereign grace, Paul's led west uh, into Europe and not east into Asia. And, and, you know, we could speculate all we want to, to think about how things would have been different if Paul had kept his plan, but we know that God's plans are always the best. 
And so this is the first of the three we sections that we're going to see. There's one here in 16. There's one in chapter 20. There's another one in chapter 27. And so but we're going to see Paul actually begin to work with some new guys, and they're going to come along the scene. But it's really key. There's one thing that we need to remember here. God has worked by teamwork pretty much throughout the history of the church. And very rarely do we see people stepping out by themselves. And I think the chief reason is, is that two are better than one. For when you fall, uh, woe unto you if you have no one to help you. It's always good to go in teams. Uh, and sometimes that's a husband and wife team. Some that, sometimes that's a couple of pastors. Every once in a while, that'll be a couple of young people. They're just heading out. They've got that zeal and that boldness. But there, there is a beauty to working together. And recognizing that you can hold up each other's arms. And so uh, in this we see these new cities, Troas, Neapolis, and Philippi. And, and the distance between those cities is almost 150 miles. So uh, it would take a while if you, if you weren't traveling by ship. And, and so fortunately they do that and they travel by boat and they reach this Roman colony. Um, undoubtedly there was, there was a plant from the Roman military there. And so it was a Roman city. Important to remember that because it, what comes when we get uh, to the situation with the, with the jailer becomes very important to understand that it's a Roman city. Because rem- remember, Paul is actually a Roman citizen, right? So if the Apostle Paul is a Roman citizen, he's entitled to all the rights of a Roman citizen. And he's not afforded those things. And it actually plays into him being used in Philippi. The next thing we see, verse 13, we see God open a heart. And this is the heart of Lydia. And again, when you, when you think about people that you're ministering to, you never really know what God's doing uh, for the most part when you're sharing with people. You don't know what's actually going on, how God is using it when, when you speak forth the word of God into people's lives. And apparently there had been others that had spoken into her life, and it may have even been in the Jewish context. Remember that the only scriptures that would have been already written at this point in time would have likely been the first five books that we call the Pentateuch or the books of Moses. And, and so they would have had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. They would have had those books highly likely. There was a few copies of the, of the book of Isaiah floating around. But as far as having a Bible, they wouldn't have had a Bible. And so the God that they would have known at that time would have largely been a Hebrew, a Jewish God who, who, who was found in the Old Testament as far as we're concerned. And so on the Sabbath day, and it's, again, it's interesting to note that the, the demarcation there is the Sabbath. So on the Sabbath, that would be our Saturday, uh, we went outside the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And so again, you can see the Apostle Paul. So what's he done? He's just circumcised Timothy. So Timothy would be welcomed into a congregation that was primarily Jewish. He's going to go and minister there in a Jewish setting. And he said, and when we sat down and spoke to the women who met there, now check this out, men didn't talk to women in Jewish culture. That was an anathema. It didn't happen. And so this is an unusual situation. And now a certain woman named Lydia heard us, and she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. Uh, Purple was considered the most... Uh, pricey of all of the colors of cloth that you can make. 
Uh, it was blended from a couple of different dyes, one of them from a very specific worm uh, that took an extreme amount of, of collecting these these little worms that ultimately would have the dye pressed out of them. They would make this purple cloth. It was considered the royal color. So someone who was a seller of purple cloth, your clientele was basically royalty, or at least someone acting in behalf of someone who was very high up on the social food chain. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. Now notice who she worships. And the phrase there, she worships the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The one true living God. Remember, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same God that we worship. That's the same Lord who is Lord of all. And so she already knows who God is in that sense. And one of the things that's beautiful about sharing the gospel with those who are Jewish is they actually have a very clear understanding of who Messiah is. If they studied the Hebrew Scriptures, then of course they're going to know that there is this one whom we know is Jesus, but they call Messiah, this one who is to come. And so she would have understood that. And so the Lord now opens her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And so the door has been opened to her heart through the Hebrew Scriptures. So you can imagine, uh, maybe the rabbi's been you know, reading from the book of Isaiah, the chastisement of our peace will be upon him. And he's maybe reading there in Isaiah 52 and 53, or maybe she's heard uh, of that prophecy of the one who would be of the seed of the woman in chapter 7. Or maybe, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given in chapter 9. You see, you could understand who Messiah was, who Jesus is, through hearing the Old Testament Scriptures. You would know that he was God. And so... She immediately, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she was ready. Now, every once in a while, you're going to get the opportunity to minister to somebody who's ready, like right now. There's been seed sowed into their life. That seed has been watered. It's in fertile soil. And when the truth comes on the scene, boom, done. And that was who this lady was. And she and her household were baptized, and she begged us, saying, If you had judged, if you've judged me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded them, persuaded us. And so Paul uh, didn't plunge immediately into evangelizing. And it's interesting that there wasn't a synagogue, but there was just a prayer meeting. Now, interestingly enough, because it only took ten Hebrew men in order to make enough to have a synagogue. And, and so... There were not a lot of Jewish people in this region. There were mostly Greeks in this region. And so this was a a place where you're going to have normally some hard ground. Paul has seen this man. He knows he's supposed to go to Macedonia. He goes there, and he is ignoring all of the things that would have normally put him off. There's a Jewish axiom at that time. It's better that the words of the law be burned than be delivered to a woman. Uh, that, the rabbis would repeat that. It's like, you look, you get caught, caught talking to a woman as a man. This wasn't a good thing. It was a highly misogynistic society, in essence, at that time. And so this was not normal. 
And yet Paul, being obedient to the Lord, gets this opportunity to this one uh, woman who's just ready to hear from the Lord. And he speaks the gospel message, and boom, she gets saved in her entire house. Uh, I want to speak a little bit to that household salvation. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But it's not saying that every single person uh, got saved by her getting saved. It says that her getting saved interjected the gospel message into her home, and, and so they had an opportunity to hear it. And the same God that ordains the end to which we're aiming also ordains the means. And so Paul's witness uh, as he heeds this Macedonian call, immediately bears fruit. And now the rest of the chapter, we'll take verses 16 to 40, and this is that famous picture of the jail in Philippi, this Roman colony, verse 16. And now it happened that as we went to prayer, uh, that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, uh, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. And so here's this young girl, She's likely possessed of a demon, would be more than likely why she's able to do this. Uh, But she's actually making some bank for some guys. And so she's telling fortunes. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. So as they're wandering around sharing the gospel, you have this demon-possessed girl who actually understands at least to some degree that the truth is being spoken. And so she's bearing witness, actually, even though she herself is not saved. But Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. So here comes the, the Spirit that she was actually speaking to Now remember that Satan actually knows the Word of God quite well. So it it makes absolute sense that this young lady, having opened up that passageway to someplace she shouldn't be, uh, could have limited understanding, limited knowledge of the truth of God's Word. Satan knows the truth of God's Word. That's why he hates God's Word so much. And he'll often even use it inappropriately, unfortunately, uh, for the most part. And so this girl has now been delivered But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace and to the authorities. And so they were not after the well-being of this young lady. They were simply using her to make a buck. And their money now was, was cut short. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. Now, that's not true. But because they brought the charge, the charge was listened to. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, also not true. There's nothing that they've done that's unlawful. Being Romans, to to receive or observe. Now there's an assumption, because they talked to this group of this prayer meeting that was primarily Jewish ladies, that they were Jews, when in fact the Apostle Paul is a Roman citizen. And so he, he begins to unfold this plan. And the multitudes rose up together against them. And and I can tell you, when people believe a lie, they very often act on that lie, and they don't research whether it's true or not. That's what's going on here. There's a story that's been told, and these people are furious. The multitude rose up against them. The magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. 
And when they had laid many stripes to them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. And having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fashioned their feet in stocks. Now, notice there's been no trial. Nobody's been actually really even accused of anything. There's just belief of somebody making an accusation. That's all that's happened. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were whining in the spirit about how they'd been mistreated. Your Bible doesn't say that, does it? Paul and Silas are are thinking, well, this is kind of a weird way to get the minister, but they were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. You talk about somebody who's focused and on message. Uh, He's got the mission nailed down. The apostle Paul and Silas are taking every opportunity they can. So they're in jail. They've been falsely accused. They've been beaten. They're thrown in the inner prison, which is the lower levels of the prison. Now, let me help you understand something about a Roman prison at that time. The reason that that's significant is the lower levels was where all of the sewage went to. And so if you were in the very bottom of the prison, you were where everybody else's stuff went. It was not a good place to be. It's where they stuck the most vile criminals, and the intent was to humiliate them and give them the worst conditions possible. So that's where they're singing at. They're in the bowels of the prison, so to speak. They're praying, they're singing hymns, and the prisoners are listening, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. So at the foundation of the prisons were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. Now, it would be good enough if it was just Paul and Silas's prison door popped open, but it's all of them. There is a mass jailbreak that's been caused by Paul and Silas listening to God and praising the Lord while they're under persecution. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. See, here's the reason why. Jailers were always assigned to guard the prisoners at threat of having to receive themselves the penalty that was placed upon the person who was in prison. So if you had a person charged with a capital offense and they escaped, guess what? You get killed in their place. And so he's figuring, look, there's like 50 guys that got out and half of them have capital crimes that they're sitting in prison for. So I'm going to take the easy way out. I'm going to kill myself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Now, it's crazy that Paul and Silas are there, but that the rest of the guys are there. This is a miracle from the Lord. Because I'm pretty sure most of them were thinking, not only are they going to get out, but they're going to kill. The guard's not going to have to kill himself. They're going to kill him. And then he called for a light and ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs. What must I do to be saved? That's the question. That is the question. That's the one question that ultimately people either ask and answer affirmatively, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, or they either do not answer it or or do not ask it, or they do not answer it correctly and, and they come up with some other reasoning. But there is no other name under heaven whereby men may be saved. There there isn't one. He's the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father but by Him. And so we ask the simple question, what do I need to do? And now I want you to notice what is said, because this is important for us as we share our faith. Notice he doesn't tell them, uh, join a church. 
He doesn't say go to a Bible study. He doesn't say take communion. doesn't say be baptized. Uh, he doesn't do anything. He says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. You, you see, the one man coming to faith in Christ opened the door for the others to hear of Christ. And so often that is the case. It is amazing what happens when one person in a household gets saved. Because it is the open door for everyone else to hear the gospel message. And that's exactly what happens here. Every one of us must choose this day whom we're going to serve. Every one of us has to believe in our own heart that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. These guys, no, nowhere does Scripture tell us that if one person believes, everyone else gets to believe automatically. It just simply says that as one person believes, there is the open door for the gospel to be in that place, in that home. It's what happens to this family. And then, immediately, all of his family were baptized. Notice he believed first and then was baptized. And now when, he'd been brought, when they brought him to his house, they set food before him, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household. The, the message comes like, hey, you've got to hear this. And every one of them hears that message. They all get saved. And when it was day, the magistrate sent for the officers, saying, let us go to these men. And so the keeper of the prison reported these things, these words to Paul, saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go, and now therefore depart and go in peace. Now, I love the way the Apostle Paul uses this. As you talk about making, uh, taking a, an advantage of the situation that is offered you before the Lord, and Paul said to them, look, they've beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans. And they're like, oh, no. And they've thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? Not on your life. There's no way that's happening because he sees an opportunity for the gospel to go forward. He says, I'm not going to take this beating and, you know, let it go on for nothing. No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. Basically, he's saying, look, we could have run away. We didn't run away. We've already seen the jailer and his household get saved. They've been baptized. We're staying right here until you throw us out of the prison. And the whole purpose is so they can continue to preach the gospel. Do you have that kind of spiritual fortitude in your life? Or if God had you someplace, you'd say, no, I'll stay in prison as long as people get saved. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid because they heard that they were Romans. And they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. Now, you see, you know what the Apostle Paul and Silas were telling him when that was going on. They were telling him about Jesus. He said, look, you, you guys beat us. You threw us in the stocks. You put us in the bottom of the prison. And so when they went out of the prison, they entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. You see, no sooner than lost people were saved... That Satan began to hinder the work. That young girl, Satan tried to pick her off. The jailer, Satan tried to pick him off. He, he, 
He's trying to come in. You need to kill yourself. But God was at work bringing him to faith in Christ. And the enemy's trying to get him to take his own life. Paul takes command of the situation. He, he sees an opportunity for the gospel to go forward. He, he doesn't take his Roman citizenship and you know try and weasel his way out of the sentence. He says, look, I'm going to stay right here. And I want to make sure that God gets the glory for what happens in this prison cell. And that's the message for us, family. Take every opportunity that you have for God to use you wherever you're at, in whatever situation you're in, and make sure it's an opportunity for someone to know about Jesus. It's crazy how many times you can sit down, you're traveling, you go somewhere, you have an opportunity, there's that one person that's sitting there, and you know the Holy Spirit's telling you, go tell them about me. And you're sitting there, ah, I don't, I'm on vacation. <laughs> Do what Paul did. Preach the gospel. In season, out of season. Every sinner has to trust Christ individually. And Paul took the time to make sure that each one of these groups of people heard the gospel. He could have left. He would have been right doing it. No one would have faulted the Apostle Paul and Silas for booking out of the prison. Amen? They'd already suffered a beating. They'd already saved the girl. Seemed like a pretty good day. But he didn't want a good day. He wanted a great day. He wanted an amazing day. Luke doesn't give us the details about the other prisoners, but I know this. They stuck around long enough. If they were singing praises when they were in the bottom of the prison, you can imagine what was going on when they got out, and they're basically totally free, but they're refusing to leave because they want to have an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. So the moral of the story is this, as you kind of review this chapter. The, the work that God wants to do very often works through difficulties and works through challenges and works through afflictions and works through pain and works through suffering. It works through things that you wouldn't choose. You would not do it that way. And in fact, you had other plans. You were planning to go to Asia. But God says, no, I, I'm going to send a guy uh, dressed as a Macedonian. He's going to have that crazy Greek beard. And he's going to appear to you in a dream, and I'm going to send you to some place that you hadn't planned on going. And oh, by the way, how discouraging do you think it could have been for the Apostle Paul and Silas to get to Macedonia only to get a beating and get thrown in prison? You, you think you might start to doubt whether you'd heard from God or not? I'm pretty sure there was probably some of those thoughts that went through their mind. And yet the Lord proved himself in a tough circumstance, in a difficult situation by saying, look... I sent you here. It's up to me to use this. If God sends you, God will equip you. And if God equips you, he has something for you to do with the way he's equipped you. And so stay the course. Preach the word. Let people know the gospel truth. Because God wants to speak to people through your life. Just like he did Paul and Silas. Through Dr. Luke. One minute, Paul's dealing with a potential suicide. The next minute, he's praying with people to receive Christ. That's our God. He works in mysterious ways. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me and we're going to pray. Some of the pastors are going to come forward. Worship team's going to come back out. We're going to worship a little bit and just open up a time of prayer. And 
Maybe you've got some people that are kind of living in Macedonia near you, and, and you want to pray for them. Maybe you want to pray and praise as, as the team comes back out. You, you want to spend some time just thanking God for what he's already done. Maybe you have a journey that you've planned that God wants to change those plans a little bit. And he's going to speak to you tonight. So as the pastors come forward and make themselves available to pray, uh, ask the Lord what it is uh, that he has planned for you. Ask him to send you some kind of a call. Uh, may not be a, a guy dressed in a Macedonian outfit, but maybe it's going to be a, a, a call to some country. Maybe it's going to be a call to a neighborhood. Maybe it's going to be a call to do something that you've never done before, and it scares you. It's frightening. It's not what you had planned, but it is what God had planned. And so as we close in a time of worship and prayer, seek the Lord. Let him use you. Let him do whatever he wants to do with your life. It's going to be an exciting journey. You're you're going to get to see captives set free. You're you're going to get to see suicidal people uh, be turned back from that place of taking their life unto new life in Christ. You're going to see families change, just as we saw in this chapter. Uh, God has a wonderful plan, and he wants to use you to bring it about. Don't miss that opportunity. Amen? Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the calls that you have upon each of our lives. Pray that you would continue to instruct us and use us and bless us. Lord, as we spend some time in worship now and in prayer, Lord, would you move in this place? Uh, Call us unto those good works that you foreordained for us, uh, as your word says there in the book of Ephesians. Lord, you have created us in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. Help us to know what those works are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship.